0: Waste of Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Bill is back to Theology and Outlines.
1: Yes, and uh, we appreciate your encouragement and your questions, and uh, we're excited. Uh, Ben and his church are going to be following along already. We've gotten that feedback, so that's great. Thank you for that interest. Uh, As we said in the precast, our thoughts and prayers continue to be with the people in South Texas and Houston, and now as the storm moves eastward, uh, towns in Beaumont and others are underwater, and it's hitting uh, Louisiana as well. So we continue to pray for those who are recovering, uh, for first responders. We pray for the faith communities down there that are uh, engaged. But we also wanted to uh, kind of dedicate this episode to the Reverend Phil Olson, who passed away way too young this past week. Phil was a pastor. He was uh, a great friend to everyone who knew him, had a great sense of humor, great passion for the church, for people, uh, for the poor and oppressed, uh, was a Presbyterian minister, uh, worked with the Evangelicals for Social Action for I don't know how many years he was on staff uh, with them, Uh, retired but continued to work at a church and was a chaplain at uh, the Cancer Centers of America. And so we think of uh, where our thoughts are with Holly and the kids and his grandkids and all of us who knew and loved him. He left a quiet, humble, life affirming grace filled imprint. So, yeah,
0: absolutely G- tremendous tremendous individual. Yeah, so God bless. He will be missed.
1: Yes, very much. Okay, so we jump into the next section of our brother's work here, Jensen and Garrish, and we're going to be con- it, it it's both a contrast and a connection um uh, in terms of where the books go. Um uh, Garrish gives us an extensive uh discussion of the doctrine of creation. And Gary and uh um Jensen, in his lecture, talks about Israel as he breaks down the formula that the God of Israel raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So interesting both in the different approaches, but also there's some significant points of contact as well. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I think the difference is in some ways pronounced. And although Garish does talk about the God of Israel, but he talks about the God Israel primarily in light of this understanding of what it means to have Christian faith right. it is a, to believe that the world is created. Right. So that, that the world is a place that is the kind of place that, that elicits elemental faith or that it doesn't make sense without the thing he ta- calls elemental faith, which is sort of seeing the world as a place where we can do critical inquiry, where morale, where some sense of morality and moral responsibility makes sense, where the world makes sense for personal rational beings. So his description of the God of Israel generally are Descriptions are, are subsidiary to mm. that end, right? So yeah. he'll, he'll do some background on where in the biblical tradition some of this comes from. But Jensen starts right away with, well, if you're doing theology, you know, you're – the church basically – it didn't – it wasn't so much whether the – he says the church – accepted the Old Testament, but whether the Old Testament could accept the church. That basically, could the apostolic witness make sense of the testimony of the Hebrew Bible?
1: Yeah, I do think Garish's point that how the doctrine of creation functions in the Hebrew Scripture is right on. This idea that it's not so much that God had created in the past, but the God who brought order out of chaos— is still engaged in the process, so the idea of creation as an ongoing principle of God, of bringing order out of chaos, is a very important concept, um, particularly in the backdrop when of when the. You know, Genesis account comes together. You know, when they put together, in terms of they're looking for the idea, of the same force of God who created the memory of the Exodus is being is being reimagined in in the Babylonian exile of of the new Exodus and God bringing Israel back to life out of the chaos. So I thought that's a really interesting his back you know the background of the Hebrew words. I th- I thought that was interesting in Garish
0: yeah. and he dismisses actually the truth. He's like, well, you know, whatever the ancient Eastern backdrop is for those myths is really irrelevant. because— because he's saying basically for him, the truth of the myths, the creation myths are what they tell that's enduring about the experience of the world that contemporary Christian faith has. So yeah. that's – no that's an interesting statement and it's one that some people would – that I think both – a lot of evangelical Christians and a lot of mainline biblical scholars might <laughs> not
1: like. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think you know, I, uh, but it's. I think it's right. I mean, I think so. What you know, so what? There's a Gilgamesh epic. You know, it's what's interesting with all the mythical stuff is the reworking anyway from Israel's understanding of its God. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting about Garish is though how important the doctrine of creation is. Um, both in, in in throughout history for different reasons you know for Irenaeus, the doctrine of creation has to do with good uh for Basil um the great um, who whose work influences both Ambrose and Augustine after him, it's a whole kind of foundation of who the Christian God is uh, and then he does an extensive section on how Calvin's understanding of creation and providence are tied together, and that that's a very important dimension for for his understanding of uh, the good God and he talks about uh, Zwindley as well, this idea of God's goodness being demonstrated in the good creation that we have. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: There's a book that's excellent by Robert Sherman called "Christ and Creation." Uh, I think it's called, or is it called "Christ and Creation." I know, but basically, it's it's on. I'm sure it's his dissertation, but it's on the doctrine of creation in Schleiermacher and Barth, and he sees them both as distinctly modern because their interest is exactly Garish's interest. Both of them, in different ways, are getting at the creation text in Scripture as. Christologically mediated. Like he references Schleiermacher, the big text being Colossians, all things created in in him right. for him. So rather than see these texts as pre moderns would as somehow re- referencing something in a prehistory or something. Right. Even though the emphasis isn't there. I mean, he pulls interesting Calvin quotes out and things like that. But the but but it's a different kind of modern move right. that that. The, the what's significant is—and it's funny, too, because he quotes Schleiermacher, which is really interesting. Schleiermacher just says, you know, really, creation and preservation are two different things. And preservation or providence is the only thing that matters to spirituality. He's like, creation ex nihilo is not a Christian subject of theology because it doesn't shape anybody's piety. It's like whether or not cre- it, it, there is eternal material God I, shaped— I,
1: I think it did in the 2nd century.
0: It It might. Uh, it might although—
1: yeah, because the idea of the creation is a good thing. I mean, it's, well, that
0: goodness would you could get the goodness right without right. creation ex nihilo,
1: but the early church didn't.
0: Yeah, well, some Gnostics didn't, but you could. I mean, you could. It's interesting too because Aquinas says that you could forgive Aristotle on this point because he didn't have the Bible. That if you didn't have the Bible, the eternal. Uh, creation would be a logical thing to infer. The, if he had special revelation, he would know. Without special revelation, it's a completely good reference. <laughs> but that, but that's an interesting thing because for Schleiermacher, creation ex nihilo might be something for metaphysicians to inquire about. And it might be something really curious. But he doesn't think it's a properly theological... Now, providence, he doesn't think you can get out of bed in the morning without, without some sense that... And that's why Escherich says, you know... Schleiermacher finds problematic God acting in punctiliar ways in history because then it's going to seem like the the nature order is not the order of, of providence, like rightly ordered to produce the Redeemer, but it's like sort of fouled up and it's kind of a halfway order and it's got to be kind of intervened on all the time. And Schleiermacher actually thinks if you really believe that deeply, it's actually going to make you have less faith in the sovereignty of the architect of the
1: of the design. Sometimes it would be nice if the world was a world in the way Schleiermacher saw it. It's a positive, it's a positive, optimistic project. And so I wouldn't, I don't know about
0: that. I mean, I would say that what he thinks is that what the creation What's beautiful about the creation? He's not saying that it's not; it doesn't have awful natural evils, and it's, sure. no, and no, it's I wasn't not. Saying that, but but the, its beauty is that it could produce the Redeemer. Colossians one. So it's not. So it doesn't need all these kind of supernatural events and things like this, because the one supernatural event was the to which everything is pointing is the incarnation.
1: Yeah, but he does. He does. He doesn't. He takes literally the idea that it's good. He well, yeah. I mean, he thinks it's it's good, but it's not without sin. It's no, not I'm not without, saying it's perfect. Yeah. No, it's not perfect. No, I didn't mean that. But it's it's a it's kind of it is a. I mean, it's a it's a. I think there's a there's a hopefulness in Schleimacher about where this all is going, which I guess should be in everybody's theology.
0: Right, right. Although his eschatology is, I mean, people, I don't know. It's a very it's, Schleimacher's complicated, complicated, <laughs> but. Garish is a, is a, is a you know, you see his Schleiermacher bleeding yeah. through.
1: Now, the interesting thing, again, going back to Jensen, is that he, you know, it's it's a great just taking, he takes the story of Israel at face value. It
0: summarizes in like eight pages. Best now, summary of the Old Testament I've read.
1: Right. Uh, again, uh, but he, he, I love the quote, we were talking about this before, that uh, he's talking about how critical scholars, you know, monocritical critical scholars, scholars who aren't necessarily invested in the story. And that's an interesting differentiation between critical scholars and people, you know, everybody's age is to be critically engaged in their own story. When you're looking at the story from outside it in a critical way, that puts you in a different kind of position. That's a different kind of thing. I thought that's, I mean, that's part of the that's part of the of the uh, in some levels the the scandal of an awful lot of academic theology and uh, around religious studies that it, it matters if you don't believe in it.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that w- what's interesting is that. I think this is actually in the Presbyterian Church USA catechism. Something about the the last study catechism. catechism that higher criticism makes a great servant, but a lousy master. And so, I mean, Jensen's the guy that came up in higher critical studies and, and and knows the critical world of the Bible. And you know, you read his biblical commentaries. He's not indifferent to the work, but he just doesn't think it. it he he doesn't think it's a, a project capable of driving the machine. Like, it, it can't like it can't really do it. So this,
1: uh, this is a great uh, Becker story. Uh, Jay Christian Becker, a blessed member of princeton, uh, a friend of mine was driving a taxi uh his way paying for his our col- seminary bills and uh, he picked up dr Becker from a, from the airport from I guess one of the new york airports and dr Becker goes, okay, tell me what do you think of our Old Testament department at princeton and my friend said well it's I, it's not my favorite and Becker goes, "You could train monkeys to do what they do over there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there we go. That that should uh Okay. There's okay. A, but the whole exactly that uh criticism for criti- critique's sake uh misses the point. Jensen says that he would much rather trust uh ancient people's accounts of their own story than modern Critical people's trying to recreate them. <laughs> so interesting. interesting point. And it's interesting, too, that, that Jensen, for Jensen,
0: right, like his next chapter is going to be on Jesus. In his intro, he talks about the whole thing. that, that For Jensen, you know, it's in the subtitle of the book, right, Can These Bones Live?, So for Jensen, the theological question is the chapter, the question at the end of Ezekiel, God's own question to Ezekiel that he thinks the resurrection of Jesus is the answer to God's own question. But for Israel and their pressing concerns of exile and ultimately their own redemption and the redemption of the world. So he's kind of got to go now to Israel and and get to the point of why Jesus speaks into the hope of Israel like why could first century Jews who were deeply impacted by the Christ event the death and resurrection of Jesus why could they look to Israel scripture and say this wasn't a supplanting of it but the fulfillment of it
1: right and, and i think it's interesting uh, he talks about that there's basically two two origin stories in uh the hebrew scriptures he leaves out the davidic story i think Purposely, but he talks about the story of Abraham and Moses. And one of the things he thinks really interesting is that you know around 400 BC um, BCE, people stopped. You know, the the prophets kind of was quiet, and there there seemed to be no mm-hmm. prophets speaking. There were no more kings, and so some people kept hoping. You know, I hope starting to coalesce uh, around this idea of. You Messiah. think people acted like prophets, and people were just like. Boo. Yep, yep. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> Everybody tried, and we're not own, writing this down in their own in their own literature. Right. They talk about matter of fact, even when they uh, the Qumran community talks about, I guess their founder or the righteous one, the one who was killed, whoever that was. They don't come a prophet. They're still waiting for the prophet to come. I think even. That's part of the powerful impact of John the Baptist, that you even, you know, the greatness of his memory, for instance, in Josephus, and you can even see the power of his memory still exists some 20 years after his death. And Paul encounters people who are still considered following John the Baptist was it was it was it really was water in the desert. And I love Jensen's Jensen's uh, statement. Some people gave up waiting they or the Sadducees, you know, they weren't waiting anymore. That's gonna, you know how you remember them. Huh?
0: huh? You know how you, you remember like what group they were? What? They're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the afterlife. Oh. Wouldn't you be sad? No, they're sad, you see.
1: Well, the sadness is given by if you look at the ruins of their property, they they found ways to compensate. Well, yeah, exactly. You <laughs>
0: get your blessing on the front end. They
1: were living pretty well until that unfortunate uh, Roman siege thing. So, but um, here's
0: so this is what's interesting about. I think what's different here. So, okay, look at where Garish says, you know, his first theses are that the world's as creation, you know, faith in God, the Father of the Lord Jesus, presupposes the world is neither accident nor a mechanism, but a moral order, experiences both support and demand. And this is what's meant by representing the world as creation. Then he says, God is creator, faith in God, the Father of Jesus Christ, again, presupposes the creative principle of cosmic order is not only inconceivably powerful and mysterious, but also the source of goodness and justice, like authentic parental care. And this is what it means, is meant by representing the creative principle as creator. And then he talks about humanity is created and, and, and that human beings, male and female, um, uh, are endowed with the capacity to respond freely to the creator, not only with awe or dread, but also with thankful confidence and willing obedience. And this is what it meant. It's meant by representing humans as God's children, created in the image and likeness of God. And then later, the next part, he'll get into redemption. But what's interesting is that for Garish, elemental faith is key. Right, right. That, that that the world is a place that's personal and invites a, a kind of parental trust, and then redemption speaks to the to the sort of alienation that can happen through through broken relationships, through uh, t- tragedy, through just nihilism, through suffering, and all these things through through guilt and, and sense of inadequacy. But Jen for Garish right now as he's setting things up. Uh, it's not going to need – like like for Jensen to tell the story, he's got to go to the resurrection, which is then going to go implicitly to the cross. So you, the Christ event is going to be – Well, he starts it because he builds this whole thing on the formula yeah. of faith, the whole rule of faith. You know. uh, Gar- Garish, not so much. I mean, so basically what you need is, the, uh, is an experience of redemption, which I think is rooted for him in Christ the Redeemer. I mean, and he would confess – to you know he would say i could this I'm saying the creed meaningfully, but I think though his sense of the redemption Christ brings is nowhere near as dependent on a particular uh redemptive significance during a really bad weekend for Jesus in Jerusalem. <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught in frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? Because of the conversations you find Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe Would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast? For just five bucks a month Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show.
1: Well, I think what's interesting about Garish's project is he kind of starts out with common ground. Yes. Right? Yes. And I think that's yes. really it. In other words, he says that, you know, the antithesis between science and religion is you know not that there's not problems with science and religion and you know but the antithesis is a, is a is an artificial construct in part because of the Protestant Reformation taking the Bible literally you know uh, which led to uh, some of the unfortunate expressions of that in modern Christian fundamentalism but even in
0: Calvin he has a lot of Calvin quotes where Calvin seems to grant a lot of leeway to science and in fact he quotes that that one thing where Cal, where calvin is critical of people that think this sun the um
1: moon's bigger than the, or the
0: earth revolves around the sun but not because of the bible calvin just thinks that's the scientific consensus and if you mess with this you're not taking science seriously like it's it, it he he sees it as a, as a non-credible scientific theory
1: he, yeah i would yeah i mean for instance it wasn't a promise problem yet scientifically in calvin's day to believe that the earth was literally, you know, created the way yeah. Genesis. I mean, it would be interesting to see, I mean, given if you put Calvin in a different century, what what he would have done with his He'd project. find
0: a time machine and get back. He wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't like our world. <laughs> Calvin would not be in this world.
1: No, but I think for though it's interesting in terms of it goes back to his elemental faith. I think what's what's really intriguing about Garish's project is that it's not it's not disconnected from the world and what we live in. I mean, there's a sense where it's very much grounded in a kind of uh, consensus of reality. I mean, he do, he doesn't you know he doesn't claim that everyone thinks this way, but he's talking in a way that reasonable people. Uh, people of faith or not, there are points of contact with the project he's trying to build here.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, like Schleiermacher, he's doing dogmatics in a way that Schleiermacher thought, hey, I'm not making metaphysical claims. Like, I'm, I'm talking about what it means to have distinctive faith in a Christian way. Now, for Schleiermacher, it's absolute depends from its elemental faith, and they're a little different. But Schleiermacher could say, my subject matter in the German university is Wissenschaft. I'm critically studying a phenomena. Right. That can be identified in the you know in the world, and so like but so, okay, so here's my other thought experiment. I think let's imagine a continuum, right on, on on there's there's two sort of polarities. A uh, one polarity is uh, it's in it's Christian because it's in the Bible, okay. And on the other hand, you had it's in the Bible because it's Christian.
1: Oh, what's well, kind of the difference in the? It's like the rabbis differences between ordinances. And commandments. Some things would be true regardless if they were in the Bible or not. And some things are only true because God said them to be true.
0: Yeah. And so basically, you know, I think on the one end would be the most explicit form of canon within the canon, right? Like, so you're basically saying there really is, I mean, we all have a canon with a canon, however we, we function. Um, but generally we wouldn't go as, most people wouldn't go as far as, as my hypothetical polarity where look, there, there is in the Bible things which are certainly in continuity with the kind of redemptive faith that Garish is mm-hmm. describing, right? On the one, on the one hand, but then there's lots that's not, there's a lot that's just not, right? right. That's so, and then on the other extreme, you know, it, it, the fact that it's in the Bible means it's the material for Christian faith, right? Uh, I think that like Jensen is a little closer, a little closer to the, to the, it's in the Bible because it's Christian. Uh, uh, or no, rather, it's Christian because it's in the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Garish is much more like, it's in the Bible because it's Christian. Uh, although everything in the Bible might not be Christian,
1: right, right? Right? you know. Um, but Garish also wants to, he holds it as a great power of the biblical text that it holds lots of different positions. That, in other words that there are that the biblical the Hebrew scriptures don't speak with one voice about things and he sees that as a positive thing because you have different vo- you have critiques within the tradition
0: yeah i, I yeah I think he does. I, he he doesn't really speak to that but but I think he would say that.
1: Well, I mean, he kind of implies that. He talks, I think that's where he talks about not everything quite lines up in the same way as it talks about the tradition. Yeah, but see, I think that, like, there's one kind of view of the Bible that if you're a little closer to the Jensen
0: side, where that might be a problem, you got to think about, well, there's multiple witnesses and it's right. all the, and then there's another way of like, well, that's because not all of it really is at the center. <laughs> so well, okay, because like no, right. these two, these two, you know, Jeremiah's got a piece of it. This verse got a piece of it, and so it's not like Jeremiah and
1: Toto is an authority of witness, as is Amos. As okay, is, no, it's I'm like just, all
0: right, we hear some days. So yeah. I mean, and again, I don't want to characterize Garish, better. I mean, well,
1: isn't that a little bit what's the whole debate right now about the death of, or the the warrior God? The whole debate around right, Boyd, right,
0: right, 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 and that that's the kind of thing where like Boyd is on. You know, further probably than Jensen that line. But Jensen, you see, I mean, there is there is a sort of taking the 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 his canonical summary takes the story at pretty serious face value, even though I mean he's a modern person, he was sure, an and, and, and honestly, my, the way I think probably gravitates more towards where Jensen is, than, despite the fact that I, I find Garish very illuminating. I mean, just, again, because like what you're saying, I think functionally in the world around like reflective people who are not in self-proclaimed kind of religious traditions, you know, that was, like he, he offers points of contact. And then again, offers like not just a kind of bland faith. I mean, he's trying to get a redemptive faith. For people that, in a modern world, find themselves in real positions of of, of estrangement.
1: Yeah, I, and actually, that's part of what he originally he tells us. That's what he's going to do. He thinks dogmatic theology is actually thinking of the faith in the context of your own time. Yeah, and and engaging in that way, as opposed to you know sitting in Nashville and coming up with new ways to talk about the Book of Leviticus. Yes. <laughs> we should call that stuff the. the uh, uh, the Nashville Statement. We should call it the Levitical, the Levitical <laughs> Statement. Uh, that is not a, a
0: a conference after party. I would think would be fun.
1: No, like oh, okay, we're going to go down there,
0: sign a statement. You know, we'll have a good time. We'll have. A, I I couldn't imagine that being a very convivial affair.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, you can only sing "Onward Christian Soldiers" so many times after drinking lemon blend. Exactly. But I we digress. We digress. But yeah. So
0: yeah, I think it could you say that it's interesting that that maybe for both of these thinkers christ is 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 very central i no, think, is I, think central. I think yeah i think for jensen he he's getting through the road to christ via the means of particularity i mean like hey you know he's starting with the skin I, I love when jensen says hey we might have like the, why would god start with this guy abram you know that well because if he's gonna be involved in history he's got to start somewhere <laughs> like, no, man. You know, that, that's such, that's such a great point that but yeah. i think i think jensen does not feel the sting of the scandal of particularity quite the same way as someone like garish does not that garish runs away from christian particularity, but he wants to put it he doesn't want to lead with it he wants to start with creation and get to the christological bomb and gilead that for modern people can take the world that that can seem meaningless and breathe meaning into it um and this is how the Christian way of finding meaning in a world like ours. I think
1: Jensen wants to start more particularly than that. Right. I think Jensen, I mean, you could hear Irenaeus giving this lecture to the second century at the University of Lyon, which didn't exist. but Or whatever. Pick a century and pick a reflective Christian thinker of that century. And there's part of it. I mean, that's part of Jensen's project. All right. Here, I want to throw out something to end with here. Okay kind of summarizing both, uh or are applying both. Why is it I wanna I'm gonna ask you for both of these things. Uh why is it good to start with Israel? What are the advantages of starting with Israel? And what are the advantages of starting with Christianity or with creation? So first of all, what's right about starting with Israel that Brother Jensen does. You get to talk about the Canaanite genocide. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good time.
0: Well well I mean I think that that, you know, it the church has generally not done well when it's, it's generally gotten off kilter when it, it forsakes Israel's story. Yep. It, it tends to get Gnostic. It tends to—what did, what did Rosenzweig say? That Christianity was raised up to take the God of Israel to the nations, and Israel's mission in that is to convert the inner pagan, every Christian. And there there is a sort of d- abstraction— that we're given to, and also it's the story of Jesus. I mean, we like we don't understand. I mean, the Bible does move from the particular to the universal. I mean, assuming that Genesis one through eleven is like a, a like a prehistory, like yeah. it does start universal, but then quickly just goes narrow. Right, and although it ends universally right. in you know every tongue, tribe, and nation, it goes from the particular to the universal. So starting with particularity, you are starting. In, in the rhythm of the gospel. And you know, if, and I think also you're going to get, we are talking in the last episode about evangelizing metaphysics, like about mm. thinking about reality more in, akin to the way we, the gospel would give us a picture of reality, about what's real and true. And, and I think that Jensen is going to let the story that we've inherited from Israel scriptures, the climaxes in Jesus, he, have a a say to like how we view reality. Uh, So I think that, that it, that it's has the strength of uh, I, I think, Reinvigorating the tradition, and and again, he does try to have like a in the prologue, like a, you know, this this can these bones live is a universal question, right? Um, but he quickly goes particular. So I think that that's I think that there's some advantages there. I think the challenges are again that people you, they can't I just <laughs> you
1: know, no. they, they, you've got a pre modern text. Well, you don't really, you don't really have problems with how. Israel treats some of its neighbors, but you have also a problem how Israel has been treated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 so I, I part of that's part of why I like it because it incorporates the scandal, the scandal of both uh, the people of faith and what happens to the people of faith. I, I like it because it's it's grounded it, it, exactly for all the reasons you and I constantly talk about why it's so important that uh, the Christian story not forget its roots and, and and its relationship within the Jewish story or the people of Israel. And I like that it's a story of faith and people and that implied with, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is all of that checkered past that, that, right, reflects, you, that reflects the checkered past. Of every one of us. And maybe God as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: The, yeah. If, the, if God's going to be really in history, he deals with sinners. He deals with ambiguous people and ambiguous cultures and contexts. And so you do get, you, you get a non-sanitized uh, God if God really works in history. Right, so I like that.
1: Okay, what about creations? What's the good about starting with, with the creation?
0: Well, I think that, you know, this is the Alice Huxley thing, right, about like theological psychologists. The world needs more theological psychologists or psychological theologians. I mean, Garish is good at this. And so he's getting into, I think, how religious faith works on the ground. And for most people, it is about finding a sense of piety. And by piety, I don't mean like reading, hey, I read my Bible, do my you know, devotion. Classic remark. piety. Although it could mean that. But I mean, piety, you know, trust, like a filial yeah. trusting it. And so that, I think, that's actually what most people are looking for, right? Most people are looking for a sense of forgiveness of sins, redemption, that their, li- their life means something, that they're loved, that they matter, right. that, that that they're the thou on the other end of an I thou, um, not just horizontally, but vertically. And I think that, Garish gets to that pretty quickly to get gets to the like existential need and gets at it in a way that is very intellectually respectable. He's got great discussions of science about like so. I think and I think what what it's funny because he wouldn't think of himself doing an apologetic project primarily at all. Like but but he does quickly
1: yeah paint a problem that I think is a viable picture of the modern predicament. I think Garrish probably held his own at any faculty cocktail party at the oh, University of Chicago. Yeah, he's, he's a person. You know, one of the things I like about it is that it starts where it's funny how most great Christian thinkers end up dealing with the issue of creation. It's Certainly when, um, the early great Christian thinkers, origin, uh, Basil or Basil Augustine, um, uh, and even some of the more, more you know obscure of people who kind of help carry the tradition on, like John Scotus Eruganon, other people in the Middle Ages. I think to me that's there's something really powerful. There's something intuitive. I mean, Genesis one and two uh, is much, when actually Genesis one, two, and three are much more important in Christian theology than they are in Jewish theology. And I think that's something. There's something unique about what Christianity as it engaged. In the Greco-Roman world, and then every other world engaged with, there was something that that really forced it to talk about the nature of creation, and that for them it was part of how they defended the incarnation, because this is a god, you know, a god, a god who creates, and and a god who 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 creates is also a god who redeems. They tie that; that's a very important thing to tie tie in for them. So I like that he starts there, and I also, in 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 some levels, he places. In many ways, just what Origin tries to do, and, you know, late second, early third, what Augustine's trying to do in the backdrop of both, you know, philosophical and political stuff, uh, Garish places the Christian story smack dab in the middle of what's going on in the 21st century. I like that, and that the doctrine of creation, as opposed to making us look like we're primitive people building uh, giant arcs in, uh, in the middle of the country, are actually people who are very much engaged in what it means to be in a post— uh, Newtonian world. Yeah, and it's interesting to read these two conversationally because you could,
0: I mean, you could use both to, I mean, they're not th- these are not mutually exclusive concerns. Not at all. I mean, they're they're deliberate decisions and starting points, and I I don't know if I was writing a. a dogmatic sketch of this length where right? so I'd I have to think about that a lot but but I do think that that it's profitable to read them side by side and they're very complementary and I think that that's you know that's, it's, it's beneficial it's been
1: incredibly beneficial for me to read sit down and read them back to back yeah <laughs> by the way it, it's it's um I'm sure if this is done to you because you you're more a theologian than I am but it wouldn't surprise me that if you put Luther and Calvin in a room they they're these are both maybe Jensen And Garish are actually nice reflections of the tradition they're in. as yeah. At
0: their starting point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Maybe so. All right. Well, we continue. Stay tuned, friends. And thanks for being with us. Yep. (laughs)
2: Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Babe said, man, you must be putting me on. God say no, Abe hey, say what? Guys say you can do what you want, abe, hey, but uh, next time you see me coming you better run well, Bloody nose Well department the They wouldn't give him no clothes They asked poor Howard Where can I go Howard said There's only one place I know Sam said Tell me quick Man I got to run Said to Louis the King, I got 40 red, white, blue shoe strings, and a thousand telephones that don't ring. Do you know where I can get rid of these things? And Louis the King said, Let me think for a minute, son. Then he said, Yes, I think it can be. Much too white He said, come here and step into the light He says, you're right Let me tell the second mother this has been done But the second mother was with the seventh son And they were both out on Highway 61 Very easily done.